Another Way to Play, episode 109. So now I'm running an in-home personal training business, trying to get people to buy my products because I was trying to make the first thing work. And that's what I think you have to take a look at. Like, don't be married to that first opportunity. If it's not working out, that's fine. Figure out where else you can go with it. Hey, this is Jeremy Slate, podcast and PR expert. And if you want to learn to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should be listening to another way to play with my good friend, Hans Struzina. Welcome to Another Way to Play. I'm your host, Hans Struzina, Olympic athlete turned top producing Bay Area realtor. I believe that your success or failure is determined by your ability to compete and win when it comes to your mindset. Twice a week, I talk with other high performers to share the lessons and inspiration that allowed them to blow the roof off their success. So get ready to have some fun, be inspired, and most importantly, learn the skills you need to win in your own life. This is Another Way to Play. I am your host, Hans Strazina, and I believe that your success or failure in life is determined by your ability to succeed and win when it comes to your mindset. Uh, Today's guest is Jeremy Slate. He's the founder and host of the Create Your Own Life podcast, as well as the founder of Command Your Brand, where they help entrepreneurs get their message out by appearing as guests on other podcasts. He actually studied literature at Oxford University and then took his career in a very different direction after a couple years of teaching at private school and now specializes in using podcasting as the new media to create celebrity and was ranked number one in the iTunes new and 78 in the top 100 at iTunes for his show alone. He's been named to podcasters to listen to by Inc. Magazine in 2019, as well as being named top influencer by Forbes. In this conversation, we talk obviously a lot about mindset, but he kind of at the very beginning of the episode rattles off a number of failures or what most people would call failures early in his career that led him into the podcasting space and ultimately into what he's doing now with Command Your Brand. And we get into a lot of different discussions, both sort of high level and some very practical things that you can do and implement into your life and business that you're definitely going to want to listen to. If you're getting some value out of this, head over to iTunes, leave it a rating and review because it really helps me grow the show as well as grow, get some critical feedback on uh, how to keep improving and what I'm doing well. So thanks in advance for that. Really appreciate you. And without any further ado, let's get into it with my buddy, Jeremy Slate. Jeremy, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really excited to have you on. Hey, brother, I'm excited to be here, and I'm just really stoked to help your audience today. Yeah, well, thank you for that in advance. So let's get into it. Let's talk about real quick, before we get into your story, what do you have going on right now? Where is this journey about to take us on leading? Yeah, so right now, um, I run a new media PR firm called Command Your Brand. I'm a huge fitness freak. I'm a family guy running a podcast called Create Your Own Life, uh, which has been around for almost five years now. And also recently signed with a publisher and have started working on my first book. So I'm really stoked for that too. That's super cool, man. Well, there's obviously a lot in your life that's happening at the moment and it probably wasn't always that way. So let's back up and talk about where your journey actually began. Yeah. So I'm from a small town called Hamburg, New Jersey. It's five eighths of a mile in size. So like nothing happens there. We don't have a grocery store. We have a regional high school. So like not a lot of stuff happens there. 
And it's one of those areas where I guess it's kind of like small town America where not a lot of people go to college. A lot of people kind of do like, you know, manual labor type work and stuff like that. It was the next town over was a coal mining town, like many, 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 you know, many years ago, you know, like a hundred years ago. So like, it's a very blue collar area. So for my parents, it was like a big deal that I go to college. So I had had this like newspaper route for like eight years before that from 11 until 19. And I started with 80 customers. By the time I finished, I had 280 customers and I was pulling in around five G's at Christmas time every year. So I was doing pretty well doing that. I guess I had a little bit of that entrepreneurial gene, but I kind of put that all away, went to college, got my degree in uh, double major in Catholic theology and world religions. That kind of stuff just always interested me. Studied literature at New College Oxford and uh, then got my master's in ancient history. So like a lot of not very applicable things in the world of getting a job unless you want to be like super highly educated. So I ended up actually teaching at private school about two years after getting out because it took me a little bit to, to find a job because this is like 2011 and that was a really tough economy to get employed in. So I ended up working about 16, 17 hours a day, painting houses during the day and then managing a gym at night and sleeping for like four hours in between. And then, yeah, so in 2011, I started teaching, but it was in private school. And since I had no background in teaching, it was kind of they stick you in a room of 40 kids and they say, good luck. So I was not a very happy person, as you can imagine. So then a couple years later in 2012, 13, somewhere around, my mom ended up having a really, really bad stroke. And it kind of made me look at a lot of things I was doing and realizing, like, what's the point here, man? Like, you know what I mean? Like, my mom lost her ability to walk. She's lost her language skills. You know, she's not able to work anymore, but we still have her. And it kind of made me look at a lot of what I'm doing. Like, what's my impact going to be? You know, what would happen if I didn't carry on any further than this? So I ended up quitting my job on a whim. And, uh, my wife had been presented with this network marketing opportunity, which I didn't know what that was. So she saw this presentation. And we're like, whoa, we're going to be like billionaires in like three days. We got to find two people that know 2,700 people and we're going to be so rich. So that was the first thing. Didn't do too great at it. Sold life insurance and I was really good at it, but I actually quit after um, an 80-year-old man that I was delivering a check to since his wife died, chased me out of his house. And I was kind of freaked out at that point in time. So I'm like, I don't really want to do this all the time. So I sold then products on Amazon, but I left my get my product for a dollar promo code on my listing, lost all 200 of my products in about 20 minutes, and I was out of business. So I failed at a lot of things. And I actually taught myself how to build websites from watching YouTube videos and reading blogs. And I worked at a friend's marketing firm for a couple of years. And why I did that, I actually started a podcast called Create Your Own Life, which took off. We had 10,000 listens in our first 30 days. And people started saying, hey, can you do this for me? And that's really where Command Your Brand came from. Dude, that's crazy. I mean, you just spent the last like five minutes telling us about a bunch of like failures and times you got knocked down and this and that, right? Like, I mean, I know this is sort of the cliche thing that most people want to talk about, but like you literally outlined a lot of like hard lessons that you learned in a hard way. You know, that being said, what separated you from sort of a lot of the people who would either just get knock down mom gets stroke or, you know, they end up in this room of 40 kids at a, at a private school and are just hating their life. Like what, what separated you from those who didn't continue going forward? Cause you continue to go forward as you just outlined for us. Well, I guess then like with quitting the job, like I did just kind of give up. So like there I, I kind of gave up, but I guess if you look at it in any other thing, like, and this is kind of one of the big things that's kind of come around as I started considering like, you know, working on a book and stuff like that from all the podcast guests I've spoken to, like, and I look at it like that thing, that, that situation with my mom, like that's extreme adversity, man. So like, I'm kind of willing to take a lot more and 
go through a lot more than a lot of other people will. I'll also say that I also, my dad is a very, very, very hard worker and I learned a lot from him. He's a uh, guy that went to play professional baseball, had an injury early on in his career and ended up, you know, just being a factory worker after that. So he started in the machine shop at a, at a company with only a high school education, actually a GED. He went back later on and got his high school education. And he worked through every single level at that company to now he's the vice president of this company. And that's, you know, what, 40 something years later. So I learned from him how to work really, really, really hard. Now, the point I'll say to that is that meant I was willing to run my head into the wall 27 times thinking the 28th time I would break through. Now, that's not always the best way to do it. And the biggest thing I've learned through all the things that I failed at is how to work smarter, not harder. So, you know what I mean? Like I've learned to kind of stay in it from, you know, both of my parents has been just a really, really important thing. Like, you know, we just don't quit. It was just something I was always raised with. We just don't quit. Which you brought it up at just a second ago about like you quit that job sort of on a whim. Um, but then you brought in this whole working smarter, not harder thing. Like, I, I feel like there's this balance in a lot of people's minds of like persistence and like grit and perseverance and whatever versus like this sucks. And I, there's a certain point where my skill set is not in alignment with where my feet are. Right. So where do you draw that distinction? Like, where do you, where do you just grind it out a little bit more? And when do you actually just say, Hey, this isn't for me? Well, I guess I looked at teaching where I'm like, you know, like I'm teaching in a different way now, which is kind of cool. But looking at teaching then I was kind of like, holy crap, do I want to be doing this in 40 years or however long it is to retire at that point? And like looking at it like that, I was kind of like, dear God, no, I don't want to be doing that. So I guess that was kind of one half of it. But I guess the other half of it is you kind of look at like, well, what is my basic purpose and what am I trying to do? And for me, it's that I want to help a lot of people to, you know, help a lot of other people. And I guess that's kind of broad and, and can go in a lot of different ways. But each thing I went through there, you know, was getting me closer and closer to that purpose. So I think if you're figuring out what that purpose is and using that as a guiding light, it's really, really important. And when I look at it in teaching, like me being really upset and unhappy and not willing to do that in 40 years is not going to allow me to be the person that I need to be to achieve that basic purpose, right? How many people have you met that, you know, maybe when they were, it's, there's a, a quote by Mark Twain where he says, the, the average man dies at 27 and isn't buried till 72. Like how many people have you met that they jump in everything like a ball of fire, they're excited, they're willing to do it. And, you know, they gradually kind of just mentally die over the years. By the time they get to the end of that career, you're like, man, at one point in time, you were excited to do this. I didn't want to be that person. And, and I guess that's what you got to really look at. Like, where's the future in this? How does this align with my purpose? And, and where am I going to kind of go with this? You've said the word purpose a couple of times. I find that, especially in podcasting entrepreneurship world, everyone's talking about find your purpose. You'll never work a day, yada, yada. And I, to, to a certain extent, I believe that to be true. But I struggle with it personally. And I'm sure people listening to this do as well. Like, how do you actually define purpose? And then and then I've got a couple other questions for you. So go over there for, go for that one. Well, I'll say too, like, I struggle with that a lot as well. And, you know, I'm 33. So I think I fall somewhere in that like millennial generation where I think my generation's biggest problem is they think that like the sky needs to open up the cerebim and cherubim need to be playing their trumpets and you're going to figure out what your purpose is. And it's just not like that. I read a book by Cal Newport called So Good They Can't Ignore You, which if anybody listening hasn't read that book, I totally recommend you do because he talks about finding what you're really good at and continue to get better and better and better and better at that. And when it becomes effortless, you find the passion there. And I think that's what it's really about is following something you're good at until you become passionate about it. And also, you know, making sure it aligns with your purpose. Like 
what do you want to do? What is the effect you want to create? What makes you happiest? And when you can align that purpose with the skill set and the passion, that's when it's going to work. But you can't have passion and no purpose out of the gate. It just doesn't always work like that. And, and I look at that even with our company purpose. Like we say that, you know, we help people to better the world or to change the world and better mankind through the power of podcasting. Sorry, it's kind of too much alliteration there. And we didn't really start there, right? Like we started with, we get people on podcasts. Okay, cool. Well, we get good people on podcasts is where it went. Well, okay, we get people with good messages on podcasts. So it's like it develops over time. You never know about the gate, but you get closer and closer and closer to where that's going. Yeah, and, and I love that you brought up this kind of like iteration in this, this evolution, if you will, of your purpose. Because I think especially when you're starting out, I was reflecting on this with, with my wife last night. We, we invest in real estate. I'm a real estate agent. She's a personal trainer, runs her own business, like have, and, and we had a, a moment very early in our career when it was like, it felt like everything was against us, right? We were like trying <laughs> to buy there, this man. rental property. We were trying to do, you know, fix it up and all that, you know, and then our work life was just nuts and we weren't making that much money. And now a couple of years later, it's like, we just figured out a way to sort of move some money around and we're going to go buy another one because of refinances and stuff. That's not the point of what I'm bringing up. But the point is like that first one is the hard one. And it's really hard to see the big picture, the big purpose, the big passion, if you will, for what you're trying to do, especially when you're in the beginning and it sucks and you've never done it before and you don't know what you don't know. Well, I think the problem is too, like, and at least I know I was this way. Like a lot of people are married to that first opportunity. You know what I mean? Like you, you think like this first thing I do, it has to work out. And, and for me, like one of my best friends is, you know, somebody I actually don't talk to anymore. Cause when I started that, you know, first opportunity being network marketing, just wanted him to look what I was, what I was doing. And he just wouldn't. And one day we're, you know, we had just finished dinner. We walk outside. It was a weird dinner. Cause he's just on his phone, like playing with ESPN. We walk outside and I go, Hey man, like, I know like what's going on here. You don't want to take a look at what I'm doing. And, you know, I just wanted to look at it and say like, Hey, that's cool. Have fun. Like, you don't have to join me or do whatever. And he goes, yeah, I know what you're doing and I'm going to do whatever I have to do to see you fail. Like that was crazy. Had my wife not been there, she would not have believed it happened. Now, the problem with that was for me is then even after it wasn't going well, even after it wasn't going in the right direction, I felt like I had to push myself to make it go right because I had to make that person wrong. And I feel like there's a lot of people when they're in their first business, they keep going even when it's not working out because they're proving somebody wrong. And that's a really, really bad place to be in. So just you know, understand like that first thing you try, it's going to take a lot of work. It may create some debt. It may take, you know, some iteration to get there, but don't be married to it. Be willing to say, okay, this isn't working out. What else can I do? Or what else can I take this? I know for me, like I spent a couple years, you know, not really going in the direction that I needed to go because I was trying to make this thing work, right? Like um, one of the, the, the product I was working with was, with, was health-based products. So then I was like, okay, well, if this isn't working, I'm going to start, start an in-home personal training business. So now I'm running an in-home personal training business, trying to get people to, sell, to buy my products because I was trying to make the first thing work. And that's what I think you have to take a look at. Like, don't be married to that first opportunity. If it's not working out, that's fine. Figure out where else you can go with it. Isn't that like the story of Slack where Slack was like an internal tool they were trying to make for some other crazy startup business? And they're like, wait a second, we just basically made a way better company. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how our current business started. Like, so like the, our, our first version of Command Your Brand was something called Slate Media Productions, literally because I didn't know what else to call it. And we did a done for you podcast model. So what, what this meant was, and this is, you're going to get how insane this was. We built your website. We 
edited all your episodes. We booked all your guests. We did all your episode format and we created and, and did all your social media posting. We then promoted all your episodes. We did all your formats for your episodes. We got you on podcasts. We got you media features to do to promote your show. So like it was literally insane. And I was making like for all the money I was charging like zero dollars because there was just way too much work involved. And what we actually found is our, our clients looked at everything you're doing and like, well, this is cool, but I'm busy as heck. I don't want to run a show and do all this other stuff, even though you're still doing everything for me. Can I just go on podcasts as a guest? I'm like, yes, let's get rid of everything else. And when we focused on that, we just focused on making that better and better and better. So like, it doesn't always have to go where you think it's going to go. You know what I mean? There's an interesting anecdote that I just reflected on. One of my business partners, Rob, who's a PhD in leadership. I didn't know that was a thing, but he has one and he's amazing. And he just geeks out on like Harvard Business Review stuff. And he was talking about how McDonald's wanted to sell more milkshakes and they were focusing on basically making a better recipe. But what they weren't focusing on until they brought in this this outside guy who was a brilliant uh, business consultant was was what the milkshake does for people, or in the case of the study, what job are you hiring the milkshake to do for you? And they found out that the biggest chunk of sales were happening before 7 a.m. in these select stores. And it turns out that when they interviewed those people, they, they needed something that would last 20 minutes, that would fill them up in the morning, that was easy grab and go, um, and they could take on their 90 plus minute commute. And like, that's what they were getting out of the milkshake. Second biggest time was that they were, um, it was after school, parents and kids. And the parents were trying to get the kids' attention and do some quality time and going into the restaurant and grabbing a milkshake and fries. And so they realized like, we shouldn't reinvent the milkshake. We should basically make a self-serve machine, grab and go for the milkshake people in the morning. And then we should reorganize our restaurants for, for parents and kids after school. And when they did that, their milkshake went up like four or 500% in sales in those select stores. So it's to your point, it's like, you're not always solving. You got to like figure out what problem you're solving for the person you're serving. And that obviously applies really well in business, but obviously in other relationships too. Well, the, the first thing that was running through my head when you're describing like milkshakes in the morning, I was like, wow, that's an awful lot of diabetics. I don't, I don't I know, man. The <laughs> for diabetics thing. to be. <laughs> I thought, I mean, I, you're, you, you did the powerlifting thing. I, I've been an athlete for a while and gosh, like I thought the same thing, like a, a 9am milk or a 7am milkshake. Exactly. I'm like, oh my gosh, these people must be in horrible shape, but it makes sense though. And that's probably why they introduced that whole line, whole breakfast line they did, which was like the parfaits and stuff like that. Cause it's, they're taking their, their milkshake concept and then adapting it. And they sell a lot of breakfasts that are like grab and go stuff like that. And if you even look at some of the smaller like gas station convenience stores, right? Like, I don't know what region of the country you're in, but we have like quick checks and stuff like that are like big here in New Jersey. And like when McDonald's started doing well with those parfaits and stuff like that in the morning, they all started selling them. So it's just about taking a look at that product, man, and figuring out where the best way to sell it is. And that's the way. Wawa gets me with those subs that you can go order on the computer screen and and you're part of the world. (laughs) Yeah. I love those. (laughs) Yeah, man. So, so you figured out quickly that like, the whole gamut of podcast, everything from editing to booking to producing to promoting wasn't really working for you. And then you refocused on getting people featured on other shows. And then that's when Command Your Brand came forward. So like, when did that happen? And then what have you guys done since you actually focused on that specific vertical of it? Well, so I'll say with that first business too, it's when I didn't know what a virtual assistant was or how to hire anybody. So like I was trying to do all this stuff by myself 
So it was like, I was paying myself like 30 cents an hour, which is horrible. So like, you know, what we really did is we, is around, gosh, around the end of 2016, we took a look at this and people were like, well, we just want this. And we're like, okay, so let's just get rid of all that other stuff. So then, you know, I was trying to figure out how to do a lot of this stuff on my own. So I brought in a business partner that handled the sales. We did well for about nine months. Then we stopped really liking each other and had to figure out how to make this whole thing work. So around like the beginning, middle of 2017, um, I had to figure out a new way to do this. And that's when we shifted to our current name, which is Command Your Brand. And, you know, the first thing I had to figure out was how to do this the right way, which I already had down, meaning we had written up every part of the process, how it was working. So then I kind of learned that if to scale anything, you need money, right? Like you need to be able to do more of that. So I hired somebody that could handle the booking because that was the first place things started. And then I started looking at selling more. And once it took me, I I would say probably a good six months to figure out what a good sales process looked like. And then it took me another six or eight months to find somebody that could actually sell the product. So we went through three or four salespeople that weren't very good. And then once we hit on somebody that could sell well, then we took a look at, okay, cool. Now we need to hire more delivery people. So it was kind of like, you know, you put somebody there to do the delivery first, then you figure out how to sell more, then you figure out how to bring in more people to deliver. And then you start booking the, you know, putting together the ancillary things about them, which is accounting and all the other stuff. But like for us, that's really kind of what it looked like in, in terms of putting it together. The analogy that I can think of is like you're building a plane as you're trying to take off, right? And I think that's one of the biggest challenges that so many people struggle with between the passion conversation and like have all the answers before you get started is probably the two things that keep people from doing anything, let alone, you know, starting a podcast or starting a business or whatever. It's like, you don't need to know all that stuff. You can literally figure it out as you go and be successful and have a great experience and a great life and a great business. Well, and even at the same time, like I know when COVID hit in the beginning of February, like we kind of slowed down a lot. Like our sales in February were like, they were pretty bad. So we were like, all right, we're going to use this as an opportunity to figure out how we can do this better. So we took a look at all of our process. We redid all of them. And, you know, March kind of picked up. So like, all right, so it's time to hire more people. So our team this year has expanded from six to 13, you know, this year already and in, in really figuring out what was going better there. And then we had another slowdown around the beginning of July. And, you know, it's, business owners don't have a ton of cash flow right now, but we know what we can do can really help them. So we actually took even our payment plans and we spread them out from six months or three months to six months because, all right, we're going to make this work for people better. And then, you know, that led to August so far being one of our best revenue months we ever had. So it's like, there's ebbs and flows as well, man. And like putting this stuff in the right place is what helps you to grow your business, grow your team and everything else. That's interesting though, because I mean, the podcasting space just blew up in March. Like what, I mean, I know that your customers and clients are business owners. And obviously, as we all know, businesses, broadly speaking, have been pinched pretty hard by COVID. But like the podcasting space has gone bananas. I mean, is there, and then obviously we're in this weird place that no one really knows what's going to happen next. But but how how did you kind of analyze that and just break that down for us? Because it's it's... It seemed it would seem to me that if you're in the podcasting space or a layman, if you're in that space, in a moment when there's a hundred thousand new podcasts in a month, that you would be doing really well, right? Well, the the thing, the biggest thing we struggled with, and this was in February ish, because the middle of March picked up, and March ended up being a great month. But the thing we struggled with in the beginning of that is just the uncertainty, like the needs and wants and desires and the cash flow of the customer changed vastly. 
So the biggest thing we had to start with is surveying, you know, what's needed and wanted from you guys. You know, what do you need? What do you want? And I think a lot of business owners, like what they keep doing is trying to shove something out there that's not working. And maybe it's the way it's structured or maybe it's the way you're delivering or what it is. We looked at it and we're like, okay, cool. This is the kind of the, the slowest couple of weeks we've ever had. How can we kind of redo this? And we asked, we basically asked people like, what do you need? Okay, so we need to deliver this in a different way. You know, what do you want and stuff like that? So it was really just a survey action of figuring out what people needed and wanted and actually just delivering that in a different way. And also how we communicated it. Like the message we were delivering earlier in the year is not the message that hit with people in February, March. You know what I mean? Because what they need to hear then is very different. Like for me, my whole speaking calendar for, for this year was canceled. And I had some really cool stuff that I was really excited for like to be going on and a lot of business owners in that position. So what we had to start taking a look at is how we could position this as your virtual speaking tour rather than just, hey, get on some podcasts, hey, launch your book, whatever it may be. Because a lot of people are actually now doing their speaking tours online. So it's changing your positioning and changing the way you talk about things and, and how you communicate to your public. And that was a big turnaround in, in you know, the end of March. Yeah, that's really cool. And that repositioning of like your offering is really critical. Let me ask you, when you guys did a lot of this repositioning, did you also adjust all your pricing or change or lower your prices? Because a, a, a lot of people go into this mode of like recession, lower prices, cut, sale, it, you know, whatever right? Like, did you guys have to go there? Or did you see other people doing that? And if so, like, what was the reasoning there? We saw people doing it, but we didn't lower our prices or anything like that at that time. And we, we've actually haven't, haven't lowered our prices at all. We kept our payment structure exactly the same. And it, like I said, it went pretty well until like the end of June, beginning of July. And, you know, th- there was about a three week stretch there where things were really, really slow. I don't know if you've seen this in your business, like, cause I know you're in, in the real estate world, but like, there was a lot of uncertainty in the beginning. And then you had a couple weeks in the people are like, you know what, screw it. I'm going to stand it out. And I'm going to decide this isn't happening and we're going to keep going forward. And those people did really, really well until like the middle or beginning of June. And then like anybody that had taken like the PPP or anything like that started to dry up. So like the way people are looking at the uncertainty changed. So then we had to take a look at the market and say, okay, well, how can we adjust to this? Cause we can't lower our prices. Cause we got to be able to pay all these people we've hired and you know, cover all our costs and merchant fees and all that kind of stuff. So the thing we actually did is we start, I posed it this way to, to, you know, our head salesperson. I said, when you're on calls, I want you to survey people like this. You know, would it be easier for you if we stretch this from three months of payments to six months of payments or 12 months of payments? And what we found is if we said to people, you're going to pay the same amount, you're not going to pay any more for the period of time of being longer. But if we just stretched it out for you, would this work better for you? And that was actually why July and August picked up greatly because we just figured out people still know this can help them. And we've had some great results in July and August, but their availability of other funds needs to be stretched further. And when we did that, that was a game changer as well. I love that, that subtle shift and the ask and the offer because, you know, like I said, I think people immediately go to reducing the price but the price is rarely the issue. It's more, it's often the terms or, or more specifically the value that is being delivered at the end of the day. Cause you know, money is money. It's like just a, it's a, it's a cog in a, in a giant machine, but it, you know, the ultimate outcome that the money gets you is really what people are after. Yeah. And we've always had like good case studies and stuff like that. But one of the things I also did as part of this 
is I also realized that seeing other business owners we've worked with and how much this has helped them is going to help too. So I actually doubled down on, on, you know, reaching out to some past clients and saying, hey, I know how successful you are this. And, you know, I don't know if we were just so busy at the time, we didn't think to ask you, but like, can we get some more case studies? So we actually built up a bunch more case studies during this time too, because we realized, okay, there's uncertainty. We need to show them that what we can do can help them and financially make it work for them. So we kind of looked at it in a couple of different ways here. Can you, for those people and myself, frankly, who are interested in those case studies, can you give us a little quick snapshot of one or two of them and like what kind of successes people are having with what you guys are doing? Yeah, so um, we had one that I like to say is our um, all results are not like this one case study because he's just like, you know, really, really smart dude. And actually in the real estate space, he was showing people how to basically get their own real estate leads. And he was working with a lot of agents and showing them how to avoid things like Zillow and stuff like that. So he had created this really cool Facebook marketing program that really worked. And off of 16 podcasts, he made about a half a million dollars in revenue from, you know, selling a $5,000 program, you know, to the real estate space. So that was really, really great for him. We had another client that um, they're really cool. They're in the water filtration space, meaning that they're, they're helping companies to recirculate a lot of their water and they actually build these really cool systems. So they were on one episode where their stock price actually 5X'd from that single episode. So they saw a really big jump from, from that. And then we have kind of the other side of it. We have one of our, our clients that she's a spiritual coach and she, off of her first three interviews, she, I think her coaching packages are anywhere from three to $6,000 or something like that. But she sold $3,000 from her first episode. So she had a lot of stuff like that coming in. And, you know, the main thing is getting in front of just your people, right? Like you don't want to, not everybody's your audience. You have to be niched in front of your audience and communicate to them the right way, or it's just not gonna make a ton of sense. What's really interesting, and this, this goes back to definitely a mindset thing that I, and I just really want to point this out is like a lot of the times when you, especially when you're at the beginning or you're just starting, you look up the mountain the metaphorical mountain up there and you see just this giant climb. You don't know how long it's going to take and you don't know what is going to, what you're going to encounter. But when you start to break it down and you start to like do a spreadsheet or you like look at your cash flow or you figure out reverse engineer how many sales you got to make to get to your goal or whatever, generally speaking, you'll be surprised because the number is a lot lower and a lot more achievable than it is. And you know, I, I love that you guys are doing that and kind of showing the case studies and, and bringing that forward. But I think regardless is like wherever you're trying to go, like break down, break down those numbers for yourself so that you can uh, not be so daunted and intimidated by the big climb. Well, yeah, you know what I found too, just because I know how much case studies and testimonials like, like help you in building your company because other people want to see like the success you had. And this may help your audience. Like, one of the things we did is we found that like so many of your customers want to do one for you, but the biggest hesitance in doing it is they know what the heck to say. So we actually created like this one page PDF of like the typical things people ask us for them to answer as part of their kind of, you know, case study video. And because of that, like it's an easy ask every time, like, Hey, you know, you've had a great experience in the program. We'd love to get a testimonial from you. So we found that's been really, really good for us. And, 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 you know, it's something we've recommended to a lot of our friends and it's been successful for them too. That's really fantastic. Great hack on that one. Cause you're right. Like breaking it down, it makes it much less daunting for people. Absolutely. Well, dude, Jeremy, I really appreciate you being on the show today. I want to respect the rest of your time because I know you got a business to run. Um, so I'm going to transition us into the focus five, which is the same five questions I ask every guest for every show. Are you ready? First question is what book have you gifted most often? The 10 X rule by Grant Cardone. 
If you could get an hour of somebody's time, past or present, live or dead, and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? Cesare Borgia. He is the first guy to attempt to unite all of Italy um, and possibly, maybe, maybe not, the son of Pope Alexander VI. He was what's called a condottiere, which is kind of like a cowboy in Italy. Very cool guy, uh, very cool general. Wow. That's a first. Love that answer. (laughs) What is one thing that you believe most people would disagree with you on? I don't know if most people would disagree with me on this. I feel like there's a a good percentage of the population that disagree me on this. But like, I think the fact that like some people think there aren't winners and losers in life and that participation trophies are like a thing is just dumb to me. You know, I think there are people that win in life and there are people that lose in life. And the people that want to take things from the winners and give them to the losers is just ridiculous. So I don't agree with that. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. How do you like to start your day? I do the exact same thing every day. And my wife's kind of like, God, this takes you way too long. So I get up early, have breakfast first, which is usually something higher carbs because I'm trying to fuel myself for a workout. I do that, have bulletproof coffee. I go from there to the gym. I'm usually there for about an hour, come back. I do a 10-minute cold shower because it really helps to you know, increase your metabolism, your base metabolic rate, and gets a lot of inflammation and stuff out of your system. And then from there, I go to work. So I do the same exact thing every single morning. Wow. I love, I do bulletproof coffee and gotten out of my cold shower routine. I, I think you're inspiring me to get back in here. Dude, you feel more alive than you have ever felt after a cold shower. I've gotten several people to try doing it and then quickly disagree with me. But uh, I've had a lot of people say with me, yeah, you're right. And I'm still doing it. <laughs> I know because I used to do it and I stopped, but uh, maybe I'll get back into it here. This has been awesome. With Command Your Brand or you personally, where's the best place we can connect with you guys online? Absolutely. Well, if they want to check out the personal brand, that's over at jeremyryanslate.com. Or if they're really interested in getting out there in the right way and they're like, hey, man, like I want to get on some podcasts, but I've either had a lot of trouble or I haven't tried. You know, I put together the seven reasons you're not getting booked on your favorite podcast. And that's over at commandyourbrand.com slash seven reasons. And the word seven or the number seven will work for that. Cool. Well, we'll link up to that down in the show notes. So it's easy to find there, the word seven or the number seven. And Jeremy, man, really appreciate being on the show today and bringing a ton of value to the audience. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, man. This is a ton of fun. And that's a wrap for today. If you want to connect with Jeremy personally or learn more about Command Your Brand, head into the show notes. I've got everything linked up that he mentioned, including the seven reasons why you're not getting booked on your ideal podcast document so you can go download that and uh, learn some more on how to get on some more podcasts so go check that out and if you want to connect with me i'm at chief snah that's my first name backwards on instagram and i've got my website linked uh, down below as well so shoot me a shoot me a message i'd love to connect with you and learn a little bit more about who's listening so without any further ado we're going to sign it off for today this is hans strazina host of another way to play And remember to make every chapter better than the